Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, which is located in our church Bibles on page 811. Please stand if you are able as we read from the New Testament. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, you have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Please be seated. On this Father's Day, I want to tell you the story of a father and his two boys. The younger son was a difficult child, had a difficult time obeying the rules, was impulsive, selfish, foolish, prone to mistakes, did not do well in school. One day he came to his father and he said, Father, I can't wait for you to die to receive your inheritance. I want your inheritance now. And you may recognize this story. The father, surprisingly, takes his inheritance and gives the portion to his younger son. And the younger son takes the money after a few days and runs off into a distant land and blows through the cash on anything that will bring him pleasure. Prostitutes, probably drinking, gambling, whatever he could find, whatever he could enjoy to use for this inheritance. Couldn't hold a job. And one day found himself working amongst the pigs, thinking to myself, to himself, what have I done with my life? I've wasted it all. I want to go back home. But I know that if I go back home, I'm not going to have the relationship with my father that I used to have. It's not going to be a father-son relationship, but at least if I can prepare a speech, I can say to my father, Father, I've made some big mistakes. I, I wasted the money, but can I just work for you? Will you be my boss? So after he had prepared his speech, he gathered the few things that he had, and he returned home. And in a remarkable turn of grace, the father sees his son from far off, and he runs after him, and he opens his arm his arms. He hugs his son. He slaps a ring on his finger. He puts the, the robe on his back, the, the, the sandals on his feet, and he says, 
just as his son begins to, to deliver his speech and say, Father, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against everyone. I don't deserve to come home. I just want to work for you. He stops him in the middle of his speech and he says, welcome home. My beloved son who was lost. He says, you are my son. You will always be my son. No matter what mistakes you make, you are my son. Let's have a party. Let's throw some steaks on the grill, just like you always used to enjoy the meal, your favorite meal. Let's sing, let's dance, let's celebrate, let's invite everyone into the party to celebrate my son who was lost and has returned home. But the older brother, you know, the typical oldest child, the responsible one, the one who stayed home, the one who worked hard for years probably to compensate for the loss of wealth due to his foolish, impulsive younger brother who stole from the family, been working obediently for his father all these years. He hears the commotion. He says to one of the other servants, he says, what's going on? He says, well, your brother came home. And they're throwing a party for him. Your father is thrilled. Your father is celebrating the fact that your son who was lost has now come home. And the older brother stood there, folded his arms, and became angry. He couldn't celebrate the fact that his younger brother had received grace and forgiveness. He couldn't come into the party. In fact, this is what it says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And so the older brother remains far from the family, far from the celebration, and worst of all, far from his father. And my question to you is, what is it in that older brother that caused him to be so seething with rage in that moment? Why wasn't he happy to have his little brother back? Why did he refuse to come in and celebrate? It seems as though he had devoted his life to obeying and serving his father, yet he ended up the one who was in the far off and distant land. Unable to experience the joy of grace. Is it possible that the things we do for God and our obedience to him can somehow be pushing us away from him? Further and further away from our heavenly father. Jesus gives us a warning this morning. Be very careful when it comes to your giving and to your prayer life or any spiritual act of devotion. Listen again to what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Notice, Jesus isn't saying these hypocrites make the mistake of not giving. No, in fact, they give a significant amount. 
And Jesus assumes that anyone who worships God will give to the poor. We ought to be giving to the poor and to the needy. In fact, Proverbs says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself cry out and not be heard. Church, we need to give. We must be generous. We must care for the poor and not turn a deaf ear to them. But Jesus assuming is assuming the giving. The question he's asking is, when you give, what's the motivation of your heart? He's calling you to examine your heart when you give. Even if you give generously, if it's done for the wrong reasons, your giving is of no value and will receive no reward from your Father. One commentator said this warning from Jesus is much like the warning you would see on a bottle of medicine. You must take your medicine exactly as prescribed by the doctor. And if you don't, your medicine can kill you. But if you take your medicine as prescribed, it can heal you, it can keep you alive. Jesus says, when you give, give exactly as instructed and be careful how you give and be careful how you pray so that it doesn't kill you. Don't give like the hypocrites. You know, this word hypocrite is an interesting one. It's an interesting choice of word. Uh, it actually refers to the actors in a play. People whose job it is to put on a mask, to walk out on stage, the curtain to go up, the lights to come on, and they perform. They take on a different persona for the audience, for the applause of the audience, to receive a standing ovation if they've done a good job. That's what an actor is supposed to do. And he says, when you give, don't be like that. Don't give for the applause of others. Why do you give? You know, I've made the mistake at times of saying, well, you know, I really enjoy, I, I give to this charity and to that charity, and I sort of subtly in conversation say, yeah, I've been giving them to, to them for years. And often I say these things for selfish motives, to bring glory to myself and to receive the praise of others, to say, of course, yes, you're a generous person. Jesus says, be very careful when you give, not to give, not to sound a trumpet. Literally, this is where we get the term, toot your own horn. Don't toot your own horn when you give, but give generously and freely in secret. Sometimes we give as a way of self-justification, a way to feel better about ourselves and compensating for our sin and for our failures to say, well, yeah, I do that, but I give generously, so hopefully these things will balance each other out. Instead, don't give for show. Don't give hoping that others will notice. Give in secret and give freely in quiet humility, examining your own heart as you give. When you receive that receipt in the mail to, to show how much you gave, be careful not to dwell on it. I spoke to a man this week who gives generously and who has for many years and thought I could learn a thing or two from him about what it means to give as a Christian and he said, I love to give. I don't ever try to make a big deal out of it. And the key to giving is to do it generously, freely, and then forget about it. Move on and ask God to give you more so that you can give more. I think that's exactly what Jesus means when he says, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't dwell on what you've done and how you've gave and how you gave and how much you gave because that be begins making it all about you. He says, give and, and forget. Give freely and forget and give more and more. 
The human ego is easily fed. It grows without us realizing it. So be very careful that your giving does not skew or change your perspective of yourself. And be very careful not to compare your giving to that of other people as a way of self-justification. Let me give you an example. This is taken from Mark chapter 12. You might remember this story when Jesus, he sits there and he watches people in the synagogue giving. He watches their faces and their the way they're dressed and their social status. And he even watches how much they drop in that box. Which, by the way, only Jesus should be doing that. We have a policy here that the pastors have no idea what people give. And we want to keep it that way. But Jesus is not only looking at the way they view themselves as they give, but he's also examining their hearts as they give. And they give significant amounts. And then this widow comes along. This poor woman who's lost her husband, who's lost her source of financial security, who takes two copper coins, which amount to about a penny, drops them in the box. And we know, because the story says, that this is all she had to her name. It's all the money she had left. Didn't give nearly as much as everybody else, and Jesus gets his math wrong. He must not be very good with numbers. Because he says, do you know that that woman gave more than everyone else? Which I believe means she gave more than everyone else combined. All of their tens of thousands of dollars, this one penny was worth more. Why? Because of her heart. Because she gave trusting her father. Knowing I can give it all. I've lost my husband but I have a father who's going to take care of me. And so she gave. She gave not to impress others. Of course not. She didn't have an, enough to impress anybody. She gave not to gain recognition or to justify herself or to pat herself on the back. No, she just gave generously as an act of devotion to God and went about her day. A couple Sundays ago, our family was sitting uh, on the second row here, somewhat close to the front, and uh, it was time to take up the morning's offering. And so the plate came by, and you know, my daughters love to give. They love to drop some of their money in the offering plate, and I, I love it when they give. And so the plate came along, and my five-year-old was not prepared to give. She wanted to give, but she hadn't taken out her money yet. And parents, I'm sure you can relate to this scenario where you're waiting for the plate to continue being passed along while your child is rummaging through her backpack looking for whatever amount of money she wants to give. And I'm sitting there, her father, thinking, you know, this is slowing up the process of, of taking up the morning's offering. The plate on the other side is already two rows past where our plate is. This is taking an eternity for my daughter to find her money. And after that eternity, she finally pulls out Two dimes, drops them into the offering plate, and looks up at me and smiles at her dad. And it took several days and sermon preparation and reading the story of the widow to finally be convicted and realize that I had gotten it all wrong that morning. Could it be possible that my five-year-old, because of the heart with which she gave, gave more than all the rest of us combined that morning? 
out of a simple act of devotion to her heavenly father. So too with prayer, consider the way that you pray. You know what the older brother really wanted, I think? In his years of obeying his father and staying home, rather than honoring and serving his father, I actually think he wanted to control his father. I think he was much more like his younger brother than he realized. He wanted his father's inheritance, but he was willing to wait for it. He was willing to work for year after year to get something out of his father. Be careful how you pray. Do you pray with gratitude or do you pray for show? By the way, Jesus isn't saying that we do no public prayer. Of course, we do that in a worship service, and that's good, and we should, just as we should give. But he's saying be very careful when you pray. Be very careful when you teach a Sunday school class. Be very careful when you serve with the kids or VBS or whatever you do, any act of devotion. Examine your heart when you deliver a sermon. Are you delivering it for the glory of God or for the praise of men? Friends, the synagogue was full of hypocrites. And I wonder if at times the same could be said about the church. People who put on a mask, people who give and who pray for all the wrong reasons. And our Heavenly Father wants a simple, secret act of devotion. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Can I ask you, do you pray in secret? I mean, I'll tell you, it's easier for me to get up in the morning and to jump into whatever I have, even if it's preparing for a sermon or leading a community group, rather than stopping to take the time to go to a quiet, secret place and talk to the Father. What is your motivation for prayer? One pastor said that doing the right thing for the wrong reason will harden your heart and pull you further away from God. So how can we approach this heavenly father who has all things, who has all authority, who owns the farm, so to speak? How do we come to him? We are all speech preparers. Just like that prodigal son who prepared the speech to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but can I just work for you? Will you be my boss? Notice Jesus doesn't call him our boss. He doesn't call him our king. He doesn't call him our judge, although he is all of those things. He says, when you pray, pray to your heavenly father. Call him dad. Have that kind of intimacy with him in your secret prayer life. Speak to your heavenly father. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Don't heap up empty phrases and repeat yourself for no reason, thinking the more you'll pray, the more you might receive from Him. He knows exactly what you need today. A simple act of devotion, of giving from a pure heart, of praying from a heart of gratitude. You know, the greatest act of devotion 
the greatest cosmic act of devotion, of going to a quiet, secret place and crying out to the Father was Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not for the praise of other men. We can tell by the nature of his prayer when he says, Heavenly Father, if there's any way for this to happen, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. That's a secret act of devotion, not for public display. And not only that, but he goes obediently to the cross to carry out the will of the Father, to take the suffering and the punishment that we deserve through his act of devotion and obedience to the Heavenly Father for the right reasons. So 2 Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We are all beggars. That's the danger of the older brother. He didn't realize he was a beggar, but he's a beggar. We deserve nothing that we have. Have you ever wondered what it's like for Elon Musk to get up in the morning with his cup of coffee, open up his computer, and look at his bank statements? What is that like? How many zeros does he see when he opens up his computer in the morning? He's currently worth $213 billion. I don't know if the stock market has affected that as it's dropped recently. But listen, the gospel says you are a beggar who deserves nothing but the punishment of God. Yet, because of the riches of grace in Christ, you have an inheritance that makes Elon Musk's money look like the 20 cents that my daughter dropped in the offering plate. You are more of a beggar than you realize. And you are more wealthy than you will ever imagine in Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace beyond anything that Elon Musk has in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Not the works of the older brother, not the way that you pray, not the way that you give, not the way that you attend church every Sunday. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I didn't quite finish my story of the two sons. Do you want to hear how it ended? He said to him, the father, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the story ends. Quite abruptly. There's no resolution to the story. We don't know if the older brother came inside and celebrated or if he stood out there with his arms folded, angry, dug in his heels. But I think Jesus in his brilliance leaves it that way because he wants to ask you the question this morning. Will you come into the party? Will you lay aside your self-righteousness and your good works and your self-justification and say, I'm a beggar, I'm just like that prodigal son, but the heavenly father has wrapped his arms around me. He has forgiven me. He's given me the grace of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Come home.
Sometimes our outward acts of religious devotion and prayer and giving to the church and to the poor and helping others and even helping in the food pantry if done for our own glory and not for his only push us further and further away. Come home and then start to give. Come home, receive grace, and then start to pray. Pray in secret, quiet devotion. Dallas Willard said, if you pursue these kinds of acts of external devotion and obedience to earn God's favor only, you'll wind up with a bloated ego and a shriveled soul. The ego gets bigger and bigger. And the soul wastes away to nothing. That's what happened for that older brother. His ego was massive. Look at what I've done. And you've never celebrated for me. And yet he, he was too cold-hearted to realize the incredible, miraculous thing of grace that had been done in his younger brother's life. Do you resent people in your life who have made mistakes, who have hurt you, and who receive forgiveness? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, A Christian is someone whose deeds are hidden from themselves so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Just give freely as an act of devotion, just like my five-year-old daughter dropping her two dimes into the offering plate. No matter how much you give, give with that kind of a heart, smiling to your heavenly Father. And forget about it. It ought to be natural. It ought to be like walking and second nature to you. As you give, you, you keep giving more. That's the advice that this man gave me was, now I don't really even have to think about it that much, and I just desire for God to give me more so they can fall through the palm of my hand and, and fall onto somebody else to be able to serve and to bless them. What a privilege it is to be able to give that way. My, father, my, my wife um, asks me in the days leading up to Father's Day every year, what do you want for Father's Day? Do you want, you know, what do you want me to cook you? Do you want a nice meal? What do you want to eat? Uh, do you want the kids to do anything? Who do you want to have over? And it's really sweet of her, but I never know what to say. And it's not that I don't care about those things. I do, I really appreciate those things as an expression of love. But you know what I want on Father's Day? I want to be with you. I want to be with my wife and kids and I think on Father's Day of how blessed I am to have every one of you, the people in my life, the relationships that I have, the gifts from my Heavenly Father. That's what I want for Father's Day. It's great if we have steak. It's great if we have shrimp. But I want to be with you on this Father's Day. So what if you were to come to your Heavenly Father and say to him, Father, what do you want on Father's Day? How would he respond? He'd say, come home. Don't stand outside the party. Don't turn to your self-justification and your hard-heartedness and your inability to celebrate and have joy. Humble yourself. Realize that you are a beggar who is wealthy, who has everything that they need, and come home and let me wrap my arms around you and forgive you and give you the dignity of that ring on your finger and the robe on your back and the sandals of your, on your feet, and the status of my beloved son. Let me pray. Our Father, we love you today. We thank you and praise you for the grace of the gospel. We are all beggars, whether we realize it or not. 
And yet you have given us immeasurable riches and grace in Jesus Christ, beyond what we can comprehend. This passage talks about some reward from our Father, and we don't know all of what that is. But we know that you know exactly what we need, just as I know what my own kids need. And I'll never hold it back from them. Lord, you do that for us. You give freely. You give exactly what we need. And so we thank you on this Father's Day. We adore you and we worship you. In your name I pray.